On today's episode, Dave interviews Dan O'Connor. Dan is a co-founder of Improv Theater, co-created NBC's World Cup of Comedy, and was seen on Seinfeld, Malcolm in the Middle, and The Tonight Show. He also wrote for The Wayne Brady Show. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Have you been in New York lately? Um, I was there in the spring, because ED was, was writing on SNL. Oh, she was writing on SNL. They, they got, they brought her, I did I know that she was writing? I don't know that I knew that she was uh, uh, Yeah, I was there and I had a lovely lunch with Ed Herbsman. Uh-huh. And talked about and found, you know, found out what was going on, at least in his world of improv there. He's which moved. Is a, uh, he yeah, moved. He moved. Yeah. Uh, Long there. Island or? No, no. Uh, north somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, he's a family man. Not only is he a family man, but he has a house in New York for fuck's sake. He's like a half an hour, 45 <laughs> minutes out of New York. And you go, and I look at him and go, what the fuck? How do you, what? Well, I love that he had basi- basically, I think I'm getting this right. I think he basically decided to stop being an actor. And then, of course, he started booking commercials. So many commercials. Yeah, so good for and him. And they're really, really good commercials. But, but isn't you, that a great lesson in, in not, in letting go and, it, you know, that whole thing of... Uh, uh, he had attachment towards being a career right. as an actor, and right. once, once he let go of it, he had a career as an actor. Right, right. But he also he he started as an actor and then became a cop. Yeah, and he was a cop. He was a cop. Know, was the a first cop. his first day of service was nine eleven. Right. Yeah. Right. Why did he pick that? <laughs> it's a bad choice on his part. I mean, not you know, it's his life. Right. But I feel like if you're going to make a choice, to, well, he's made a choice not to be a cop now. Yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. And he writes. I don't know if you know this, but he, uh, Alec Baldwin, has a podcast called uh-huh. um, "Here's the Thing." Yeah, and he, uh, and Ed and Melanie Hoops, his wife. Yeah, they do the they do the um, they write that first part that he says. Yeah. He told you that. Yes, he did. We had a at, you know that little restaurant that's right where the ice skating rink is, Rockefeller Center. No. Okay. Well, there's a lovely little da- underground restaurant that has windows, and you see people mm-hmm. ice skating along. It would be a good place to say film a, mo- a scene in from a movie. Yes, I would think. I bet it's been done. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And know. I've been there for. I've been in that restaurant. That, that's where they have upfront parties. Oh, they do. Of yeah. course they do. Yeah. Right. Of course they do. So, so you were sitting there talking to him. It, no, it was great. It was. But you you asked whether I'd been to New York, and, right. and I haven't been to New York as much as I would like because. Did you guys get put up? I'm cutting you off right there. Did, oh yeah, did you get oh yeah. Put up nicely. Oh uh, yeah, right across from Rockefeller Center, and. Uh, in what kind of place? In a in a hotel that was nice and had a lovely view and. Fuck! I like the hotels there. Yeah. I was. I just like it so much. Um. To, and to go there and get a nice hotel room. Yeah. And that's the way to live your life. I, I lived there for a year. I had a job off-Broadway doing an improvised show, Keith Johnstone's right. Life Game, right. that the London company Improbable did. Mm. And they wanted to eventually, kind of like reduce Shakespeare Company in reverse, they wanted to eventually replace themselves with American actors. So mm-hmm. myself and Brian Lohman and some other Americans were slowly replacing the Brits as they were going back home. Right. And we were running the show at Jane Street. And... Mm. Um, um, and it was terrific. I had a off-Broadway job, an, right. an apartment in the West Village, and but I could walk to work. Um, and for a while it lasted. It was wonderful. And then the the play got turned into a television show, and everything that was good about the television show, I mean the play, the television show ignored. Ruined. Um, yeah, because the interesting thing about the play, every night it was different. We would get an audience member up 
and interview them and then improvise their life, basically mm-hmm. bring their life. And you know, and you it was it was the greatest improv job I've ever had for my acting training mm-hmm. because if someone came up and started talking about losing a parent to cancer or something like that, you had to play it straight. You right. could there's no you know, arms akimbo, waka waka, um, <laughs> you know, bar prob going on. It's akimbo's this. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's, this, maybe, it's like wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but you had to play it straight, and you had to be, and it was very viscerally moving because uh, occasionally one one of the in the improbable guys I think have taken improv to a level that I, I really would love. I think we all should be going towards for those who those people. The British should, people. Yeah, the British oh. people because they. They did, like one of the things uh, that we did was if we felt the guest was comfortable, because the first thing they would do in the evening is cast an actor to play themselves. So tonight, Dave, you'll be playing Oliver, who we just brought out of the audience. Mm -hmm. But uh, at this point, after Oliver's divorce, um, can you go in and play God talking to yourself? Got it. Because he was there. The actor doesn't know what's going Ooh, on. Oh, okay. So you would be playing him having a conversation with God about your despair after your divorce or whatever it was. So there were moments like that um, that were taking the art form to this other theatrical level that I was really engaging and interesting and... Man, I loved it. I loved and then TV fucking ruined it. And all. then TV fucking ruined it by putting celebrities on. Right. But uh, as I pointed out to one of the producers, I said, Kathy Griffin is the guest. Kathy Griffin tells funny stories for a living. Anything we do is not going to be as funny as Kathy Griffin. Right. And, uh, and then you'd get guests like we had Ice-T who told the story of having diarrhea in front of 25,000 people. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, the, the stories that were interesting were the plumber from Queens who was first generation, you know, the first person in his family to uh, have his own business, what have you. That, that was interesting. Right. So um, you're saying the Ice-T having diarrhea is not interesting? I, I'm saying that it was no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, what you're saying. Are you saying that it's the, it's that, it's that the salt of the earth human that we love in America versus the the celebrity or no? I, I think if a celebrity, like it, when we did the show at Jane Street, mm-hmm. we had people who were famous, but we talked about their lives rather than their career, right? And that right. was interesting, but, right. but you know. I, like I would have much rather have heard about Ice T's growing up, right? But the 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 way the show was directed, it was about moments of celebrity. Like we had, um, what's her name who played uh, Maureen McCormick, who played Marsha Brady, right? Um, and all people wanted to do is talk about uh, the Brady Bunch. Right. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. I don't find that that shit to be interesting at all, and it also makes it hard. What it also does is it puts it 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 it. Um, Keeps the wall up. It monarchizes. I don't even know if that's a word. Monetizes? It, no, no, no. It makes it seem oh, like. Oh, I. Like know, in it terms of like monarchy. Monarchy. Yeah. It makes it seem like, oh, there's this class of people who aren't like us. Right. You know, and so when I see someone like Maureen McCormick. Right. Uh, I want to say McGovern. When I see Maureen McCormick, there's I don't got to be a her. morning after. You know, oh, right. There's right. got to be a, right. Well, after they canceled the Brady Bunch, it was a morning after. That's where their lives really Venn diagram. So um, at, at that moment, at that moment, you know, when you see, when I see a celebrity, at first I go, 
if I see a celebrity outside of the television or on the stage or whatever it's going to be, it takes you a moment and then you go, oh, that's a celebrity. As opposed to, that's a human being, his job is celebrity, he has other parts of his life that he does. Mm -hmm. And so for me to be able to relate to that, but you know, your TMZ and all that stuff really puts that wall up to say that celebrities are different, and I don't think they are. Well, they're not, and, and also it's antithetical to good storytelling right. and comedy because, like if you think about good stand-ups, good stand-ups tell jokes that everybody in the audience relates to. Right. Why would you want to then tell stories that they can't relate to? Right. Who gives a fuck about your Learjet? Right. You know, we, we want to know about, you know, uh, that you were a latchkey kid and, and the challenges that, you know, or whatever. Um, Certainly the lessons that, that bring us all together, again, that Van Degram, the lessons that bring us all together to say that we're all experiencing these things. Because it, it, what it does is, uh, the TMZ stuff, it further makes, makes, not me, but makes people look at their lives and going, oh, well, they... Look at them. They've got they've got it better than I do. Well, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's not true at all. And and, and those of us who know celebrities or whatever you know you want to call them, those of us who know celebrities know that there are great stories about being a latchkey kid or great right. stories about fights that they've had. And and yet I I don't know what we can do about it other than not watch those shows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I there's. There's nothing I can. I'm more interested in in those things. But when does when do those um, growing up issues? Where do those come up? Except on Oprah. Yeah. Well, I think part of the. I mean, we we go way down a rabbit hole as far as why reality TV is interesting. And I mm -hmm. think there's a there is there's some a shit blend. That's there's a blend of that, which mm -hmm. is that you're seeing real life, and also there's a celebrity to it. But what drives me crazy is going to an audition. And seeing somebody who's been in a reality show auditioning for a job that I'm going up for going, no, no, you, you, uh, you didn't go to school. You didn't, you didn't train to do this. I guess, though. Is that know, a problem? It, well, th that's. I, the guy, did you see uh, the latest Tom Hanks movie about the, uh, the Somalia, Somalian That Captain Phillips? No, I haven't yeah. seen it. Um, the guy that plays the Somalian fighter. Uh, huge part. It just, just. I just want to make. Yeah, I just want to make the point because I, I think there's nothing wrong if that person can do the job. Right. Terrific. Right. My problem comes in when that person feels entitled to the job, because or or feels um, somehow more than. Why do you think else. they feel that way? Have they told you that they feel that way, or or are they just just the very fact that they're there make you makes you think that they feel that way. That they're in that audition room. Uh, well, that uh, this has happened to me twice where both times I felt there was a certain level of entitlement just in how the person carried themselves. So so want maybe I'm, I'm generalizing. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. But, because I'm also looking at people knowing full well that when you go to an audition, you're going to see people that have been in sitcoms forever right. that are sitting there. And you're going, shouldn't you have a, a different entrance? Or should, <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't be put in the room with the rest of us. Because... Yeah, I, I totally get your point about the guy in Captain Phillips right. and the little girl in Beasts in the Wild, and you know, there's right. all these examples of people who just are that role. Right. So, because I also feel like there's some people that have a uh, a natural ability to do these things, but I also I think that your issue is their um, their attitude that this happened to me, it's going to keep happening to me. Who the fuck do you think you are? I don't need to do all those other things. Yeah, like, like, like I the think there's a, there's a certain lack of grace, mm -hmm. and that's what bothers me. Right. Well, that bothers me about people who, you know, most people, not most people, <laughs> but that bothers me about a lot of people most where people. I go, where I think, really, you feel that you could do that, 
whatever that it would be. Mm-hmm. Not just not just grace, but there's a mindlessness that that you tend to have, and that's one of the things about living in New York. I think that when you go there, you've got to swallow a lot of grace and you've got to swallow a lot of mindlessness from people because just so there's so much going on in that city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like New York and San Francisco, and now I'm finally I'm finding this in Highland Park, which is really nice. Is that Highland Park, California. Highland Park, Highland Park, Park not, not Highland Park, actually, Illinois, right. yes. Uh, that there's a, or it used to be in San Francisco. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but when I was growing up, there was a very, uh, there was a no bullshit connection with everybody and everybody, regardless of whether you're wearing a suit or a hard hat, everybody engaged at, and I know that's that's a very general statement, but for the most part, that was my experience growing up. That was my experience in New York. You know, I mean, people maybe didn't have any uh, editor, <laughs> right? And um, sometimes that was a little hard to take. But you know, I ate breakfast once a week at a place in the village, and uh, you know, there were people I talked to all the time in there and engaged with. Had no idea what their names were, right. but but we were all in the same neighborhood, and it <sighs> was. It was like a nice warm blanket of community. Was that, was that, because uh, I, I think of a diner that's on 8th over there, down there, that has frosted windows in the wintertime, you know, and it's like chilly, but there's a, there's a great counter that you hang out in, it's right um, on 8th. This, this place was on Houston, mm-hmm. and it's no longer there, mm-hmm. and it was a woman who ran it, and I think it was her name, um, uh, let's say like Houston and Sullivan or something like that, and Man, it was great breakfast. It was always like that. It was very cozy. It was a, you know, shelter in the storm. Right. And um, no bullshit. And like the first morning I talked to the owner, I was reading about uh, a Palestinian father and son being killed in the West Bank. Um, and she just like stuck her head between me and the papers like isn't that awful and we were off and running and no like the, the it was it was what it was and it was very it was for me of course i had to sort of adjust but we ended up having a terrific conversation that's such a great thing because it goes back to what we're talking about about celebrity and just seeing people for who it is that they are in that moment that they're there and not to not to put a governor upon yourself to say i can't have this conversation with this person Uh and you were talking about the hard hats the guys in the suits those sort of things i think that for those of us and going back to uh the improbables and 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 uh improv stories and those sort of things looking at people's lives as people and and and, and loving what it is that they're doing and stepping back and not making the judgment call because I think the moment that you make a judgment call or see somebody in a different way other than what it is that the, who it is that they are, you're putting a governor upon your creative process uh-huh. and you're not able to move forward with that. And um, uh, I, I, I love being open. And so a city like New York, a city like San Francisco, Chicago, certain parts of Chicago, um, where you're really having a conversation with somebody and it's fucking, oh, being stuck being on an airplane with somebody. Yeah. You know, um, where you're really having a conversation with somebody. Uh, I, I, whereas I tend to shut myself down, have my iPod, have my earplugs in, have my food, have my own things going on, instead of having that conversation with the person that's sitting next to me. Um, so it it is about opening yourselves up. And one of the things about living in New York also is you are constantly in contact with people. Yeah. Yeah, you can't avoid it. Whereas in LA, you can, you can, if you want to, you cannot talk to people for weeks. I know. I mean, for me, I look at my apartment. There are days that I, 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 I will, you know, if I've got food, 
uh, which I have a lot of, and I'm very blessed <laughs> to be able to have food. If I have food, I will not leave this place for two days. I will not, my car will not move. I will not have contact with anyone. That's sad. It is. You gotta get out, man. <laughs> I do have to get out. So let me ask you: Do you introduce yourself as an improviser? How do you? If somebody at, a, especially in LA, somebody says, "What do you do for a living, Dave?" I teach theatrical improvisation. Okay, right. that's what I do. I go across the. This is what I say: I go across the country teaching theatrical improvisation. Now, if you want to get into it deeper than that, then we will get into deeper than that. But I, the, what's been going on lately is. There's this hybrid of what's happening in my life and my art and all this other stuff, and that's it's not just teaching improv, it's also teaching a mindfulness and a teaching an awareness and a presentness. So anytime you're in my class, yeah, we're learning all these skills about being in the moment, but we're also dealing with skills of being connected to each other, listening to each other, moved by each other, emotionally uh, present uh -huh. uh, and, and aware. So that's what I say. What do you say? Well, I, th that's what I was, when you were uh, so kindly making talking. the coffee, I was thinking about this because, um, and and sometimes I think your uh, ego is, is your own worst enemy. Yeah, a lot of the time it is. Um, I don't know when it's good. I, I'm a, I you know I'm I'm a hybrid guy mm -hmm. because I I directed television. I've been on television as an actor, commercials. I teach improv as you do around and you're the a writer. world. And uh, you're a writer. And I'm a writer. And um, you're a television director. You're a theater director. You're a writer. You're an actor. Right? Yes. And now, and a VO guy now. I've become uh -huh. a VO guy, which is an interesting thing. So, so truly, if I were to put an umbrella on that, I'm an improviser. I do all these different things. Um, some of the time, improv is more involved than others. Mm -hmm. But to introduce oneself at the party and go, I'm an improviser sounds wankety wank. It's really weird. Yeah. But, but that, but that's all but, but it's less, <coughs> my point is, uh, and first off, I always think that's weird um, to, what do you do for a living at, at, right out of the gate? It's like, uh, you know, in your early 20s when girls say, what car do you drive? It's, it's, it's a little, little off-putting because I, I think it would be pretentious to say, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. You know? Pretentious in what way? Uh, well, that, that's such a com uh, sort of informal conversation starter if the person seems like they're really interested right then maybe like you said I'll go to the next level and say right. well I do a number of things and I do this but it's hard to list a number of things and I think more and more people like us are doing that sort of renaissance thing of having many different jobs because you have to have a number of jobs if you're just a straight actor I mean the percentage of straight actors who work on a regular basis as a straight actor is so small right um, that, uh, you know, it's like, I remember telling um, a friend of my father's, I, he said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm an actor. And he said, oh, what restaurant do you work at? Yeah, fuck that guy. And, uh, and I had just done a very sweet corporate job mm -hmm. where I made a boatload of cash and I so desperately wanted to tell him what my hourly was. Right. And sort of say fuck you. Well, I think that that goes, but, but I think that there's something important about not saying it in that way. But we've got to we've got to redefine uh, the, what the word improviser means because right now you're. I, I think for me, hold that thought. Yeah. For me, I feel like uh, I say theatrical improvisation. I don't say I teach improvisation. I say I teach theatrical improvisation. That way, somebody knows it's well if they want to 
if they want to look at what I just told them, right. they can look at it from two different angles, theater, improvisation, theatrical improvisation, then we have a conversation what that hybrid is. Yeah. But I also believe that there are a lot of people, that are a lot more people fucking sullying the name improvisation than there are doing anything to uh, elevate it. Because when I say improviser, people go, oh, you know, you know, what, do you do one of those shows where you put a fucking bag on your head? Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't do that show, but people do do that show and they're very good at it. Well, this, 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 you're right in my wheelhouse as far as stuff that I'm passionate about because I do feel that improv is a pejorative to a certain extent. I believe it and I teach it all the time. I say, and, stop fucking calling yourself that. And, and my company, uh, uh, or our company, we're an ensemble impro theater, has been doing theatrical improv. Right. And we have been, we, we've had to, in certain instances, remove the word improvisation from press material. Because as soon as people see that, they label it. Like talking to the Michael Ritchies and the Randall Arneys and uh, the people who, you know, the uber These theater are, lords right. yeah. of uh, Center Theater Group and the Taper and Amundsen and Geffen. Uh, the Geffen um, and uh, other, other people who are... Randall Arney would understand it because he comes from Chicago. Yes, how... how Yes, and and may and, and hopefully, yeah, right. hopefully at some point a package will be opened and and people will come to shows. Uh -huh. But but what we're doing is requires a lot of work, and we're right. taking the Moscow Arts appro uh, approach to improv, which is to really study the genre uh, so much so that when the genres that you're doing, it's yeah. So uh, like we just finished doing Twilight Zone uh, at the Fal Gary Marshall's Improvised Falcon, Twilight Zone. right? And we did four 22 minute episodes a night. Mm -hmm. Roughly 22 minutes because it's improv. Right. Um, and really committed and dug deep into that style and, and those writers of Twilight Zone and Serling, what have you. Um, but getting people to come see it when they hear the word improv, it, improv unfortunately covers all manner of sins. And I, I, I so applaud your statement of trying to redefine what it is because... The, the, the glory of improv is also its downfall, which is that it's very easy to do. It requires no preparation. You get a stage or a, a somebody's garage, and you can do it. Right. And everybody and their brother does the Herald. And, and how many times has somebody dragged uh, a friend of yours or a relative to a really bad uh, improv I know, show? right. And then they never want to go back again right. or they've been embarrassed. And so we, because we're in the infancy of the art form, I am constantly re-explaining and redefining what it is that we do right. so that people, because people still ask, well, will I be pulled up on stage? I said, no, it's a two-hour play. We're in full you know, Regency costume for Jane Austen. There's a set. It's a play. No one's going to pull you out of the audience. I, I, um, yes, yes. I, the, the word that, that you said that made me go, was infancy, because uh -huh. I don't think we're in our infancy. I don't think so. I think what's happened is we've been retarded. And when I say that, I, I mean, when I say that, what I mean is some people keep doing bullshit, and those cocksuckers fucking keep making it so that they're they're you know they're pissing in the stew. Yeah. It's like fucking knock it off. Yeah. Because because I've, I've said this before on this podcast where it's like if you said to me I'm doing a play, I'm like I'm thinking to myself, how can I get comps? Yeah. I'll come see your play. Yeah. But if you're saying, I'm doing an improv show, I'm like, I'm busy. I'm going to tell you right now. Before the, before the period comes after show, improv show, <laughs> period, I'm going, I'm not going to go. I'm not yeah. going to your stupid show. Yeah. And, and, and so 
I think what's really important is that we've got, I understand to not say improvisation because when I do corporate work and I'm working with people, I want to show what the skills of improvisation are doing, but can't I just show what the skills what not, the skills that I'm going to give you right. uh, talking in front of an audience and having better you know communication skills, listening skills. But the moment that we say improvisation, it's sullied. But we still have to, I think that we don't, I, I understand what you're saying and I get it and, I, and I've done it myself. But I think, I don't know how much of a service we do when we don't say improvisation. Well, I mean, yes. And we've, sta- we've started to, um, like when we had a run at the Odyssey, we did Chekhov, mm-hmm. which was, as far as an improv experience goes, one of the most satisfying things I've ever done as an actor or an improviser because it was just... So great, you're making up a four-act play in the style of Chekhov. Um, how much fun is that? And, and the audiences, we realized we needed to stand in the lobby afterwards and answer questions because major, majority of the theater-going audience doesn't understand what improv is or right. improvisation is. Right. And the, the return cards we got when we've done surveys and the, and the comments that we get in the lobby are, I didn't know what I was going to see. I thought improv was this, that, and the other thing. Or I thought you were going to do the seagull. Or, you know, um, like at Twilight, in the Twilight Zone unscripted run at the Falcon, people would yell out titles of real Twilight Zone episodes. And, and we say it in the voiceover before the show. We say it in the program. Everywhere it's said, these are, these are, you're the only audience that will ever see this show. Right. You're it. Right. That's what makes, that's, that's why we have a different relationship with the audience than regular theater audiences, or for that matter, for an improv audience, because the audience is integral to the creation of the play that evening, and they have a vested interest in seeing it performed. Right. And and that dynamic is something that I try to tell, if I had a meeting with Randall Arney, uh, I would be explaining to him, which is, people come back and see 15 shows during our run. During Jane Austen, we did 10 weeks in the spring, and we had one woman come 15 times Jesus. and one guy come 12. And we had a bunch of high school girls who came three or four times. That's because um, of Loman. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Brian has a huge following with, <laughs> with Pasadena high school Catholic girls. Um, uh, probably more Brian Jones, uh, one of the... Uh, yeah. The kids. Yeah, one of the kids. Right. But, um, but that's another thing also is that the difference... Between and 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 Larry Hankin talked about this with you, which is you've got to have a company that's been together for a long time, and even the, our kids have been in the mix for eight nine years, even our ingenues, and and you need to have that sort of Moscow Arts, Royal Shakespeare Company, whatever it is, training and be in the mix because you trust in the ensemble and and. Um, that just doesn't happen. It, uh, you know, most a lot. I've improvised at Second City as a guest, where I'm literally walking on stage, shaking hands with somebody and meeting them for the first time, which is fine for for that. And we did it at I/O the other day too. Yeah, yeah. Where you go, this is this is this, and but keep going. So so I I think that there's a there's a lot of uh, glorious theater that can be created when you have that kind of ensemble. There was another point that I was going to make. Well, I think uh, your coffee is well. It's, it's awesome coffee. Mind. God damn, it, I love this coffee. The um, that idea of uh, uh, of having the ensemble and working together and listening to each other and uh, I, I I love that and I also love uh, going back to 
the idea of getting the word improvisation out because it is, I guess, it is kind of in its infancy in a way in that we need to just keep doing the work that we're doing so that people will start to to understand that it's broader than Whose Line. It's broader than all those shows, the improv shows that are on television. It's broader than stand-up, whatever the fuck you think that it's stand-up. Wait, wait, yeah. there's another point. Yeah. Um, oh, I think that when people first went to see the motion, the mo the moving pictures, <laughs> when they first went to see the moving pictures, people were scared when the train would, you know, the the, 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 the image of the train that was, gonna come was right coming the at screen, them. Yeah. They're like, going, what the fuck's going on? And it took them a little bit of time. This is a little different. But we need to redefine it or define it. Define it. Yes. And one of, one of, the, one of the reasons for my uh, passion, haste, I don't know. But we, we have a, 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 a theater critic in town who has reviewed us a couple times and written some really wonderful things. And he also wrote a feature in, in between. And... Um, he was interviewing us to sort of talk about the process and, and you know, some of us have been working together for 25 years. And, um, and he got very serious and he said, well, what's going to happen? And I, I said, what do you mean? He goes, when you guys die. <laughs> and I, I went, what do you mean? He goes, well, this type of theater, it's not like you can just explain it to somebody and then they're, they're going to go off and do it. You have to you have to do it in order to do it. Right. Um, so the the new guys, the ingenues and the new ladies, and those of them who are you know south of forty, um, really have a there's an onus to continue the work. But my personal drive is there's so much that we're discovering now that we want to do, and you know t the window is is closing there, there's a certain amount of of uh, the, I mean we have so many different ideas some involving film some involving more stage work and like every day like we were talking beforehand about who has time to read Rolling Stone or the New Yorker right every day I feel like no I th we've got to get going we got to move 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 right right because um, life is short <laughs> I know I know what you're talking about and there's so there's so much to do. Uh, is is that anxiety producing or is it energizing? It's it's energizing. I think uh -huh. maybe, you know, uh, in the past maybe it was anxiety making. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I don't know about the whole ensemble. There may be people who have anxiety about it. Uh -huh. But um, but I'm energized, especially since you know I think three years ago we had a. We had a retreat where we went away and we talked about what we wanted to do. And we've met all of those goals. And we have more goals now. But we're doing something that, um, that people come back to time and time again that they're interested in. And like I said before, the relationship we have with the audience is really terrific. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I just want to keep doing more of it. And also taking a page out of the improbable guys stuff and also uh, Michelle Spears uh, one of the one of your we, company we members we were talking last night uh, because we had a we had a rehearsal last night for the Jane Austen unscripted run that we're about to do at the Broad for the fourth time we've become their christmas show that's awesome um, and we were talking about this because she saw a couple of shows at the Radar Festival downtown so there there's Stuff that we want to pull from avant-garde theater companies, from Improbable, some of the work that Improbable's done, because we want to keep making this theater more. Right. 
Uh, right. And that's a really inarticulate way to explain well, it. Well, but, but I, I, I'm inspired by so many things. And I just, and also what you guys are doing is very similar in, uh, it's, it's similar on a level to what I'm doing. Are you hearing that? Yeah, it's your hard drive, I think. Is it? Sounds yeah. like something spinning. Something, something spinning. Um, anyway, uh, what you guys are doing and what I'm doing is, we're, it's similar in this way. We're looking at something in a very different way. We're, you're looking at improvisation in theater in a very different way than other people are looking at improvisation in theater. You're doing something that requires a lot of work to come into it, a lot of uh, research, and a lot of commitment to the moment that you're in, in that moment, with all the material that you've done. The work that I do improvis improvisatorily is, requires you to be present and to be focused and to be focused on your point of view and not to move away from it. That's also what you guys do is point of view stuff too, of course. So then not to move away from the point of view so that when you do move away from your, if you do move away from your point of view, you're thrown off. If there's... What I feel, I need more people to come to do what it is that I'm doing, and I'm slowly working up toward that. More people following this philosophy that I have. Uh -huh. and I'm not making a cult of personality. I'm just saying every it's, it's hard, but there are not a lot of people who are doing it. And the more people that are doing it, it elevates the art form. To uh, It elevates the art form. It makes it... It, it takes it away from the rabble-rousing and that kind of stuff and the groundlings. And when I say the groundlings, I mean the groundlings in Shakespeare time and I also mean the groundlings. It removes it from that. No offense. It <laughs> removes it from that and it makes it and it elevates it. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah. The commitment that we have towards it, but it's hard to do. It, it's very hard to do because it requires trust. Right. And people still improvise from a place of fear. Yes. And and when you have fear on stage, it makes the audience uncomfortable and it changes the audience's relationship to you to one of concern. Right. They're than concerned for your engagement. safety. It's yes. really interesting. Yeah. It, I mean, that's a Keith Johnstone thing, mm. which is... And which I've which I've always loved, and Keith says, be average, and and I, it took me years to sort of wrap my head around that. And what, what, what he he says, we're at war with light entertainment because at war with what light entertainment, uh -huh. mm -hmm. comedy clubs, MCs. Hey, are you having a good time? Right. And I'm like, I want to say, fuck you. I'll decide if I'm having a good time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, Just right, right. Just shut up and let me see the comics. Right. Um. Uh. And I think that that. What Johnstone was talking about as far as be average was, and Phelan from Improbable uh, epitomized this really well. They were doing a life game at, at La Jolla before I joined them in New York. And he came, he'd come out incredibly, not low energy, but just very low status. And like tonight, we're going to find out what it was like for somebody. And it would be very, like it was setting the bar down here. People were like, okay, uh, does this... Guy. It pulls you in. Though. It pulls you in, and it's not like, hey, we're, it's not a lot of right. fucking tinsel, and, and, and what happens is the audience is now engaged and, and listening, and then when the show does go, whether it's Life Game or you know, old school Keith Johnstone improv show, where when the stuff does build and when the actors, when the improvisers then are successful, right. the audience is amazed because they came out average. They right. came out low status. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. His, his, he, he's saying be average, that is be, uh, uh, be average in presentation so you can have places to go to. Places to go to. and Not be average just in, in and, terms of what And also, giving. you know, the Yoda thing, which is, I think, a Keithism, which is there is no try, there is only do in terms of don't try to be good. Right. 
because improvisers try and right. be funny as opposed to just improvising there was, and trusting that the other person is going to make them look good and therefore it's going to be successful. There's a, there was somebody sent me an, an email, a Facebook message the other day saying, essentially, some, he was he was listening, he read an article about an interview with an improviser who said, first thing you do is you got to work hard. And he goes, what does work hard mean? And I feel like, fuck you, not him, the guy, but yeah. whoever said work hard, I don't even know what work hard means. Because what it does is suddenly now there's this, there's, there's this element that I have to bring in called work hard. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> right. You know, as opposed to, I need to be present with you right now. Work hard, hard, hard also implies that there's work soft and work better and there's work less. And we can't help but do the work that we're doing and, at that and, moment. And who wants to see somebody working hard? You want right. to see somebody existing and you want to see whatever it is they're doing. Right. But, I mean, it's like seeing some sort of method performance where, to me, where people are, are, are beyond what is real. Right. They're bringing... They're bringing something to the party that no one asked them to bring. Yeah. They're not enjoying that <laughs> we party. We don't want to see the snot coming out of your nose for this Right. Yeah. And it's also, if I invite you to my, if I invite you to participate with me in whatever it's going to do, and I say, just bring you, and then you bring you and a bunch of costumes, and you bring you and funny noisemakers and shit like that, or if I say, come over for Thanksgiving, and uh, you don't have to bring anything bring a bottle of wine, and you bring a fucking standing rib roast, I'm going, what the fuck are you doing? And it's the same thing with people who are working so hard improvisatorily, because I'm not asking them to do anything but just to be. And, I, and it goes back to you talking about the fear factor, mm -hmm. and not the television show, because we're right. also talking about that, but we're talking about the factor of fear and the element of fear that comes into that. And what we have to start doing is paring it all down and saying, look, there's no such thing as fear. There is nothing. That's you bringing something into it. This is the this is improv one. Mm -hmm. That you there is no fear and, and and all that there is is a presentness between two people on stage. But we it's turned into the Groundling style, UCB style, Second City style, which I don't really know what that is. IO style, I really don't know what that is. It's just you know. But it's become commerce, and when it's commerce, it's got to be packaged. And 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 the thing that drives me crazy because we have students come to Impro who've been you know, around the horn or whatever. Right. Though we, we do get a lot of actors who haven't been to any of those places, but we also get people who've been everywhere. And I think every, I don't understand why an improv teacher would say, don't take class somewhere. Like, I, my feeling is take class everywhere. Right. You should be taking class everywhere and figure out what, what works for you. You're going to have an experience because you're improvising. Right. You're going to learn something, whether, you know, every time you take a class, you learn something. Right. Um, and I've never understood the sharks and jets mentality between improv styles because um, your improv should be whatever it is that is required of the evening. You know, if you're doing, if we're doing a show at I.O. at 10.30 at night, that's, that, we, we do that. If we're doing a show at the Broad stage, we do that. Mm -hmm. And if we're actors and performers and truly improvisers in, in terms of what that connotates, then we should be able to do it in any venue and in any style and with anybody that we're working uh, with. I agree with that. I think my, my, my issue with a lot of this stuff, well, first off, 
I, I, I totally agree that, that you've got to take as many classes with them and, and have as many voices speaking to you about how many different, how, the different facets of get, entering into this art form that you can have. My issue really often is a student that comes in and is taking classes. I'm at UCB right now. I'm at Groundlings right now. I'm at Second City right now. I'm at IO right now. It's like, how do you fucking keep any of that in your mind? Right. Because what has to happen is, for me, a lot of improvisation is about taking that class, walking out of that building, and then living my life with the information that I just got from that place. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's a life philosophy. Yeah, and, 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 and I think if you can sort through the detritus of the stuff that doesn't apply to you, that's mm -hmm. terrific. Right. Um, and but, also know that there is detritus that doesn't speak to you. And take what you want and throw the fucking rest of it away. And if it doesn't speak to you, then don't try to listen to it. Don't, if it doesn't speak to you, then, then go, it doesn't speak to me. Right, right. And, and I think people have a tendency to try and adhere shit that doesn't work for them to them. And I've had students, I've had students who say, well, at so-and-so, we do it this way. And right. I went, well, you're not at so-and-so. Right. So what one. at so-and-so applies to what you're doing now? I, when I, I, I don't know, you remember World Cup Comedy was the yeah. improv TV show mm -hmm. that I had. And, and I was, con when, I, when we sold the show, I wanted to be the producer who read all the resumes and auditioned all the right people. Right. And I read 2,000 resumes and we auditioned 450 people. And the, the thing that drove, there were two things that drove me nuts. One was agents sending people in who had no fucking improv experience right. and having them miserably die and ruin their day, I'm sure. And I so wanted to follow them out into the hall and go, please tell your agent to not send you improv things. Until you take... Until you take an improv right, class. Right. I mean, and it was amazing what, it was a real eye-opening thing to be sitting on that side of the table. But the other thing, we had this Harold group come that... Um, that can't be you, is that you? It might be me. All right, wait, wait, wait. Um, no, no, it's well, not me. It's not no, me. but that was good. Um, um, that was exciting. It sort of looked like you yeah, did that. You but, but the... Uh, but these guys came in. Start it over, back it up. Okay. So when we auditioned 450 people, right. and there were, there were actually a couple buddies of mine who auditioned, and because they were put in a group with you know five other people or whatever, was it was so traumatic they stopped improvising because they they literally like I'm done with this because people grabbing and there's no no yeah it was horrible I literally had to stop scenes and go you can't climb on her, uh, and Steve Karen Steve Karen. Uh, bless his soul, um, sat with me for all of these auditions. But, but I, I auditioned. I auditioned for that. I, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, I auditioned for it. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that. No, uh, I, for I, me, I don't, I, I, I'm just saying audition for it. I know what you're going through. I know what you're talking about. We had these guys come mm -hmm. who were a Herald team. Right. Who did their edits with clapping. Right. They were pretty damn good improvisers. Um, and they, they, I had brought them in as a group, I had them audition together, and I said, okay, that's terrific, but the edits, that's not what you're auditioning for. You're right. auditioning for something else. Right. So I want you to do this. Kept doing it, and, uh, and kept, clapping. Kept, kept clapping. And and I, and I said to their sort of alpha guy, I said, that's not the show. I said, right. that's terrific you do that at wherever you do that, right. but don't do that. Right. And they, he copped an attitude um, that this is my art, 
and and I this is how we do it and and basically this is how we do it and it's right and and I I, I was so flabbergasted because I said yeah I understand that and that's terrific but if you're you know auditioning for Hamlet you don't do a monologue from Rocky. Right. You know, it's just not, doesn't make right. sense. I, I, right. I feel that Rocky really is a Hamlet, truly. I'm like, no, no, right. Hamlet is Hamlet. Rocky's not Hamlet. No, I, I, I think that a lot of, don't even start me on that sort of thing. Uh, but it is, there's a professionalism that you're also talking about there. The professionalism is, this is a fucking television show, dude. And yeah, we're bringing you all in at once, but you also have to know, we're going to cut up your party. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. this is what I feel. Yeah. You're looking for, that guy's good. The other five are barnacles. Uh -huh. You know, it's like Jerry and the barnacles would be a great improv group. Uh, the barnacles being like, I'm going to hitch my pony to that wagon. Um, but you're going to break that thing up. For me, I'm listening, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking what they're not being taught is the industry requires you to, and it's what you did with um, Life Game. The industry requires you, Life Game, did I get that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Life Game. The industry requires you to, to uh, mold to what the now is of that, to, God forbid, to improvise with where we are. And, and that's why I think it's important that people are taking class from you, that people are taking class at places that don't just teach. It's hard to explain. I, I think when you audition for a show, a mm -hmm. television show, mm -hmm. it's not, you, you have to have some level of reality there right. that I think is not being taught at some places. Right. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I don't think, um, without naming names, I, I think some places don't teach you to be a good actor. I think right. they're, they're teaching you to be a good improviser. Right. However, there's a, there's a level of skill. Right. Like you talked about the Venn diagram. And right. I think a real well-rounded improv uh, education incorporates good acting skills good improv skills and whoever that person is. Well, I think that it's whoever that person is. There's good improv skills, good acting skills, good listening skills, um, and being present on the earth, you yes. know? Like, all that stuff creates a fucking awesome actor. But if you're used to doing glibprov... Right. Uh, then... You don't have to name names. Um, if, you're, if that is your only uh, exposure to improvisation... Right. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that you're taking a really good acting class somewhere. I, I agree to that. And for me, I look at that and go, okay, fine. If you're going to take glib, Glibprov or whatever your, the initials of your company is, if you're going to take Glibprov, you, that, the, the acting class is not going to get in the way. Whereas if you're taking at Glibprov and you're taking it at, at Hootie Hoos and these different five different places that I mentioned. But I think an acting class is a great thing. And I think your improvisational training is going to work with your acting training. And it's going to be hand in glove. But I think that if you're at UCB and you're at the Groundlings and you're at Second City all at the same time, I think you're fucked. <laughs> well, you're definitely broke. Well, you're definitely broke. You're definitely broke, but I think that you're also fucked because you're not. There's no. There's nothing to, to hang on to. Yeah. And yet, I also feel like if you're taking cuts, because I I agree with you, the glibprov thing, where it's like this is clever and this is funny and this is now, and there's a place for that. Sure. Um, and what's happening is a lot of people are heading in that direction because that is an immediate gratification, and it. Uh, it fits in nicely with an industry that is asking for that and has been asking for that for a long time. And, and you know, you talk about that person who said, 
you, you first thing you got to do is work hard. Now, uh, th there is something to to working, to to studying your craft and to right. doing it and investing time. Right. And I think this goes way back to sort of you know uh, you know five white guys in college who can be uh, you know a Harold team. Um, uh, and it, you've been to festivals, I've been to festivals, and there's a lot of horrible, horrible uh, improv that started because somebody started an improv group, and yet at the same time, God bless him for jumping on and taking a chance. The, the problem I have with just doing a glibprov type of training is that it doesn't, it doesn't make you well-rounded, and then you, <clears throat> you're not, it's all surface. Right. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I think that that's a major thing about the training, though, is they make it all surface. They make there be to be a, um, a, a structure or a trick that you keep going back to. I'm really sounding like I'm the old man <laughs> shouting, get the fuck off my lawn. Get you off know? my lawn and start improvising. Exactly. You know, dude, what do you mean? Kiss you, why don't you? I remember you? when we didn't even have suggestions. Exactly. We'd have a stick and that was it. Exactly. Wherever it pointed to, that's where we went. Um, but that, that idea of, again, oh man, it, it is deeper than that. And there's a shout, and, and what you guys are doing, at, uh, uh, what you guys are doing in the shows that you're doing, you're going deeper. And it does it require more work? Is that the word that we want to use? Because I think that that word work is the one that throws me the fuck off. Right. I think investment, engagement. Right. Um, because the moment that you say work, I start toiling. Right. You know, I, I, I completely see that. I, I, and also, if this is what you want to be doing, um, it, it, to me, improvisation gets me a job. But I like doing it because it doesn't feel like um, coal mining. Right. Toiling. You know? Yeah. Um, Toiling. It's sort of like it, nobody wants anything having to do with toil, like toilet. Like stay away from the toilet. Stay away from toiling. Uh, toiling on the toilet. Nobody wants to do that. But you're, it shouldn't be something where the engagement, like all the energy I'm putting into it. But there's, there's a shorthand word and we use the word working. But again, when we start... So, so the reason that what you were saying earlier was um, working at it, working at your skill, learning, or like working at the investing. skill set. Investing. Investing. Invest and, and I also believe that if I'm taking a, if I'm taking a class that is, that the aim of that class is to give me a certain tool, tool, the, the aim of that class is to get me a certain tool, I'm not looking at that as work. I'm looking at that as inspiration. Uh -huh. And I think that it's really important to, to name it what the fuck it is. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't work anymore. Yeah. I don't, and that's not to say, I, I don't work anymore, and yet I get paid more than I ever have before. Um, am I working on my skill? I don't know. Am I working on my skill? I guess I am. How am I doing that? By keep doing what it is that I'm doing and that I enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. But another point is, there's my issue with, with certain students is certain students saying that they come to my class and go, yeah, I'm taking this over there and it was really hard, but eventually I got it. It was really, really hard, but eventually I got it. And I keep hearing that phrase over and over again. And I was thinking, is it re did you get it or did you, did you just go, I'm, I'm trying not to say this phrase because I've said it before. Like after they drilled it in my head, I got it. And I thought, why do you want that drilled in your head? Yeah. Why do you want anything drilled in your head? Why do you want your head anywhere near a drill? And if it's not organically there, 
it's not speaking to you. Yeah. And step the fuck away from it. <laughs> you know what? I, yeah. I think that people go, they keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying. Somebody at UCB, one of the teachers there, I, I can't remember his name, I don't even know anybody who's there. Um, they had auditions for the Herald. And this guy had this really long Facebook message saying, look, you guys, leave it alone. You know, you didn't make it. That's great. There are a lot of people that are showing up. Some of you are going to get it. Some of you aren't going to get it. Don't turn your fucking life inside out because this didn't happen. You've got to know that your trajectory, and going back to a, a, a man of many hats, your trajectory is, is, is broader than you... Your, your life is broader than you think it's going to be. Well, I think it's important for students to realize that even when... Even when they're told, yo, you're not being bumped up to this class or you're not going to get to be part of that ensemble or whatever it is, that there's an opportunity elsewhere and that, that that's really what's important. It's like, it's like the unfortunate thing that happens when people don't make it into the groundlings and then they take to the airwaves and, and, and in my mind, cook up a bunch of reasons why it didn't happen. Right. It didn't happen for any number of reasons. And some of them you don't even know. Right. And... Uh, and that means something else. There's another opportunity for something right. else. Right, um, right. Well, I, so I look at somebody that would audition for the touring company, a second city, over and over and over and over again. And these anecdotes are anecdotes that I know firsthand. So this guy kept auditioning for it and auditioning for it and eventually went, you know, and is having a hard time with his girlfriend and then went to L.A. and then wrote this movie called Swingers. <laughs> right? Is there more of an, you know, there's t 10 directors. John Farrow's one of them. Yeah. He didn't get into Second City. He wasn't fucking supposed to. Right. Or he didn't get into Second City. That, that gave him the skill set to go, what's this other thing? Yeah, okay, I didn't get into Second City. But this thing is right here, right here, right now. Yeah. That writing thing that I was going to like, oh, I guess I'll, you know, I'll salve my, my bruised ego with writing. Mm -hmm. Well, man, go. Fucking yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, like, it goes back to what we're saying. I think life's too short to bitch about what you're not doing. Um, just... Do what you're doing, baby. Right. No. I'll put that on a t-shirt. Let's stop there. Okay. That was good. Today's episode was sponsored by GoDaddy. Thinking about starting a new website? GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code ADDCOMEDY at checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website. ADDcomedy.com. Hello, ADD Comedy Podcast listeners. Dave Rosowski here. First off, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And second off, if you've ever wanted to take a class with me but thought, gosh, I don't think I'll ever be around where David is, know that you can now take the virtual class at iActing. Just check our website out, and there's a link there. Click on that link, and that will set you up. you got to do a little hunting, but I think that it's well worth it. We'll hear you in your ears. Bye. Thank you for listening to the ADD Comedy Podcast. For Dave Rozowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on ADD Comedy, you can visit our website at www.theaddcomedytour.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ADD Comedy Pod. If you're in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in taking a class with Dave, you can find that information at his website at www.davidrozowski.com. Sound services for the ADD Comedy Podcast was brought to you by Post Apocalyptic.